We can make it without. Uh, you're going, we're going without the screen. You may have to use your Bible. <laughs> Man. <laughs> what will we do? Uh, it's good. God may want us to today. Amen. Amen. Uh, we'll, uh, uh, we'll jump in here. I, uh, you know, I was thinking uh, this week, this, I'm, I'm on sidebar for my message before I even start, but um, I was talking to a, a friend at work the other day, and they're not a saved person, and, and um, we were talking about believing in Jesus, and this is not the one I talked about earlier during prayer, but we were talking about believing in Jesus, and um, I, asked, um, I asked the person, I said, um, they said, I, well, I believe in Jesus, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, and I said, well, what do you believe about Jesus? What is it you believe? Um, and, and they said, oh, all the same stuff everybody believes about Jesus. Um, and I said, so you believe he was born of a virgin? And she said, oh yes, he was born of a virgin. Um, she said, and, and I said, you think that's possible? She said, God can do anything. I agree with that, amen? amen. So then I said, so do you believe that he lived a sinless life? He said, well, I'm not so sure about that. You see, there's it's one thing to say that we believe in Jesus. But what do we believe about Jesus? And we talked about that. She said, I just don't think that's possible for any person to, to lead a, a sinless life. And I agree with her. It's not possible for any mere person to lead a sinless life. Amen. I have no problem agreeing with that at all. And, 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 and anybody that, that's ever been born a, a mere person like you and I will not lead a sinless life. Amen. But that's why the virgin birth is so important. That's why I started there. Because what the virgin birth shows us is, is that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Which means that He was both fully God and fully man. Amen. Right? Fully God and fully man. So with man, it's impossible to lead a sinless life. But I took her back to what she said about God. She said, with God, nothing was impossible. And so we talked about that for a while. Let me, let me read you a scripture that I wanted to just share with you about this. And then I'll get on to the real message that I have to preach today. But in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest. Now listen, this applies to us today, church. No matter where you are today, no matter what you're facing, no matter what trial, what situation, what, what, what things that are happening in your life, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Amen. But was in all points tempted, just like we are, yeah. yet without sin. Amen. 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 It's, a, it's an important point. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh. Amen. 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 This morning, when we sing about Jesus, when we talk about Jesus, we're proclaiming and worshiping not just some Savior, a sinless Savior. A Savior that was without sin. One that 
even though he was flesh like us, even though he was fully man, even though he was tempted just like we're tempted, even though he faced the same trials and things that we faced, yet he was without sin. Amen. We're proclaiming and worshiping a sinless Savior who condemned sin in the flesh. That's important. <clears throat> the main thing I want you to know is it's not just important that you believe. It's important what you believe. Yeah. Amen? Amen? That's why we have a country full of people who don't know God but profess to be Christians. Because they know about Jesus. And they believe in some Jesus, some version of Jesus, but they don't know the truth about Jesus. I don't want that to ever be said about any of us in, in this church. So let me tell you up front, I'm a little perplexed by the message this morning and how it will all work together. I know by the grace of God that it will. He always brings it together. But you pray that God just does something in our hearts today, okay? Uh, sometimes as preachers, we get scriptures and messages that we don't understand always the way that God really intends to do things or pull it together. But all we can do is stand and trust that God will pull it together. Amen? Amen. Uh, in our weakness, He'll be strong. Um, and so I've had this thought on my mind all week. Just two words. Dying empty. Dying empty. And it sounds very depressing. But hang in there with me. Because I think, I, I think you'll see what I mean. See, here's what we know today. Here's what we know right now. Right now, we know we're all dying. Amen? Amen. Nobody's immune to that right now. If you're sitting in here and you don't realize that, you need to understand the truth of the Scripture, which is that because we're all sinners, we all will face the punishment for sin, which is death, but we will be redeemed from death because of the resurrection of Jesus. The blood of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ. But we're all going, this body, this what the Bible calls an earthly tabernacle, is going to pass away. Amen. The Bible says it's here today and gone tomorrow, so to speak. Amen? It tells us so, even so much so that it says, don't boast about tomorrow. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. Amen? Amen. Even in another place, it says for us that if you plan to do something soon, it says, don't rather than saying, I'm going to do this, it says, if the Lord's will, I will do this because you don't know what tomorrow brings. Amen? Amen. The reason that's there is so that the reason that, that really think about it, the reason why God wants us to say, if the Lord wills, I'll do this or that, is so that we're ever aware of the reality that we may be living right now in our last moment. Hear that again. Right now, you may be living your last moments right now. And you say, but I've got plans and I've got dreams and I've got work and I've got things and I've got desires and I've got all of that. But guys, none of those things are definite. None of those things are guaranteed in life. You've got the time that you've been given and none of us knows when that time will end. We just don't know. That's why today matters. Whether we realize it or not, this moment that we're in right now matters. Every moment matters. We need to make every moment 
count. And we need to know in each of those moments that we're ready to die. That we're ready to meet the Lord. Amen? Throughout the week, I've had those, that thought in my mind, that, that dying empty. And listen, what I mean by that is there are some things that I want to die empty of. There are some things that I don't want to have with me when I die. Amen? There are some things that I don't want to have uh, to, to drag with me when I stand before the Lord in judgment, right? We know the Bible says that we, naked we came into the world, naked we're going to go out. Right? We won't take our car, we won't take our house, we won't take our money, we won't take our checkbook, we won't take our, our family, we won't take any of those things with us when we die. But also, there are some things that I... I don't want to take with me. And there's one that's been standing out all week. I do not. We, we talked about it a little bit at Bible study on Wednesday night. And I guess that's why it's been in my mind so much. I do not want to die full of foolish pride. Amen. Amen. We battle that and battle that and battle that. and we, It's almost like we've got to a point. I even thought about it after our discussion on Wednesday night. It's almost got to the point where we're like, well, we're never going to get rid of it. I don't want to die full of pride. I can't throw in the towel and just say, oh well. I've got to figure out how to deal with the pride problem in my life. Amen? Amen. We all have to figure that out. Listen, James 4 and 6. You don't have to turn. I'll read it to you. You can write it down and check me later. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. Do you believe that? What, what does pride even mean? I tried to wrap my mind around the... Uh, there, there's a few definitions of it really. I tried to wrap my mind around the, the simplest one that I thought would be really relevant to the message that I felt like God was giving me this morning. So I, I, I would say this. Pride means we put our own will above God's will. Amen. And... We put our own will above God's will and somehow we believe that in some sense we are greater than others. <clears throat> and that we desire to be greater than others. Let me read you a scripture. In 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17. I had several scriptures today so uh, maybe it works out good this way. Do not, now listen, I've read this scripture to you if you've been in this church for any length of time, lots of times. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Amen? Amen. For all that is in the world, listen, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Those things don't come from the Father. They are of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen? That's hard scripture, but good scripture. This is... That, that pride of life is what I'm talking about. I mean, a great example of the pride of life is Eve. 
So if, if you go back and you think about it, God wanted His will for Adam and Eve. God had prepared for them a garden that they could be satisfied in. So God's desire and His will was that they would be completely satisfied in Him. Amen? Amen. That they would have everything they need in Him. He gave them every good thing. They lacked nothing. Nothing. But Eve was tempted when she saw that the fruit of the tree looked good for food, the Bible said. That's the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh, her appetite was there. The lust of the eyes, the object was there. So I've got an appetite. There's fruit. It looks good. Now she's tempted. But that's not when she ate. She ate when the enemy came along and said, if you eat that fruit, oh, it won't just satisfy your appetite. You'll be like God. And the Bible says she took of the fruit and ate it and gave it to Adam and he ate it also. You see it this morning, listen. It, the lust of the flesh was there, an appetite. The lust of the eyes was there, the fruit looked good. The pride of life came in all of a sudden because she not only could have what she wanted, but it would be so good for her. She could determine her own destiny from there on. It, she could do her own thing. That's the pride of life. Her will to be like God, her will to have her appetite satisfied was more important than God's instruction and God's promise to her. It was more important. Let me ask you this morning. Are you prideful? I don't think any of us wants to believe that we're prideful. None of us wants to believe that we would put our own will above the will of God. None of us wants to think that we would, that we would ever think that we're greater than somebody else. But when you look in the mirror of God's Word and see the standard of it, what does the reflection show? I think for me, and probably for many of you, pride is a problem. Why is it a problem? Bill, why does it matter if I have some pride? Why does it matter if I want to do my own thing that much? Why do you preach against this so much? Why does it matter if I want to do my own thing? Why does it matter? Because of James 4 and 6. Because God resists the proud. God resists the proud. He resists the person who is, who is just torn in pride. Now listen, if we're a born again Christian, we should desire to be empty, to die empty of his pride. Because the Bible says there are seven things that six things that God hates. Yea, seven are abomination unto him. And one of the first ones is pride. There's one particular type of prideful spirit that I want to talk about today that I want to focus on. So I've started way up here and I'm drilling down now. Now I want you to know as I preach this today I don't have anybody in mind. Okay? I got a, that's, 
Forewarning. I have no person in my mind today. I've, I've talked to God. I've, I've, I've labored over this message a little bit because it's one of those messages that people can say, well, he's, he's mad at me again or he's, he's upset with me about this or that. No. I want you to know this morning that if this message speaks about you, if it talks about you, it is not meant to be condemning to you, friend. It's not meant to make you angry or to condemn. It is meant to heal and to rescue. Yes. It, 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 it's not about me trying to point out your faults or your issues or, or, or your struggles. That's not at all what my intention is. My intention is, is that because I read James 4 and 6 that says... You've got, to, you've got to resist that pride, right? Or God is going to resist you. And if I would have read more to you, I believe it's James 4, 7, or 8 that says, draw near to God. I want you to be able to draw near unto God. But I know as long as we have pride in our heart, there's only so close that we're going to be able to get. Because He's going to resist. So if you've been desiring a closer walk with God but struggling to find it, maybe this is a, a message for you this morning. Maybe there's a pride issue in your heart and God has sent His Word to rescue you. As I drill down, this is what I'm, this is what I'm going to talk about. I believe that the pride of life is most evident in a controlling person. There is a, a controlling spirit that people have sometimes. I don't know how to say it any different. And how I wish that we can all be set free from that. One of the great lessons that God has spent years teaching me in, the, in this ministry and in my whole life is that Truly, 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 I have no control over anyone else. None. I, I have no control. And listen, unless it's my children for a time when they're young. I have somewhat control there when they're young, but only because they can't do anything about it. Only because they're depending on me for survival. You take that away from them, if they could, if they could depend on their self, I wouldn't be able to control them either. I have no control over anyone. The truth is that the desire to control, and I have struggled with this desire throughout my throughout a good portion of my life, but the struggle to, to desire to be in control really only hurts the person who's trying to control everyone. The ripple of that is, is that it ends up hurting the people that love that person. Now you listen to me this morning. A, a person that tries to control everything is living in the pride of life. Because they believe deep down it's their will that needs to be done. And it needs to be done their way. Amen? There, there is something about this system of belief and thought that says my way is the right way. 
And your way is the wrong way. Even though it's not based on the authority of Scripture. It's this, I said, I want, I'm telling you, I know, I expect. It's all the same eyes that you can go read about in Isaiah when it talks about Lucifer being cast out of heaven. I want, I think, I want to be like God. I want to make the rules. I want to be. It's the same thing that Eve thought. No doubt when the enemy approached her and he said, you can be like God. She thought, I'll get to tell everybody. I'll get to make the rules. I'll get to be in control. I'll in control. We crave it so much. Now listen, you may say, I don't, brother. But you just hold me. Just hang on with me. If you don't, then you just get to listen and just enjoy looking at everybody else. <laughs> but for me, I needed God to speak this message into my heart because I'm guilty. So I, I, I stand guilty before you this morning beyond any shadow of a doubt because this is largely due to me. But Proverbs chapter 16 verse 25 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. I want to quote this little paragraph that I, that, that, that I read so that you can hear. I thought it was powerful. The sin of control is deceptive. It gives you a false sense of power and of purpose. And it has another even worse effect. When you're committing the sin of control against God in your life, you are undoubtedly committing the sin of attempting to control others. I'm talking about the people who are overbearing, implacable, unrelenting. I'm talking about people for whom it is my way or the highway. I'm talking about people who are intolerant of mistakes and, and intolerant of others' preferences. I'm talking about people who are insistent that all should be done the way that they want it done. These are symptoms, and listen, this is the powerful statement. These are symptoms of a deeply broken personal relationship with God. That's a very powerful statement. Trying to control life and trying to control others is a symptom of a deeply broken relationship with God. The desire to control our own life testifies that somewhere deep inside of us we don't trust God. Amen? Amen? Amen. That there is something in us that says God won't do what He said He would do. So I've got to step up and take control. God said if I do this, then he'll do that, but I need to do this. That desire to have our own life on our own terms, our own way, is the pride of life. And at times I'm full of it. But I want to die empty of it. 
When we desire to control not only our own life, when we desire to control somebody else's life, deep inside that means that there is a deep-seated root of, of sin in you that says, I am superior to this person. Because I think I'm better. I think I'm smarter. I think I'm more powerful. Or whatever the next statement might be. So many of us as Christians are still trying to control our own lives. We want it our way. But we miss out on so much of what God wants to do in our lives. Because we don't listen to what He wants to be done. We don't listen to His Word. Now let me give you the symptoms of a controlling person, okay? And I believe that all these symptoms are addressed in the Scriptures. And this is how I know, this, these symptoms are how I know that I need to repent. And if they fall into your category, you can know that you need to repent too. With the ultimate desire of not just saying, oh, I repented, but the ultimate desire of change. The ultimate desire of emptying myself of the pride of life so that I can be more useful to the kingdom of God. That I can bring God more glory. The first sign, this message is boring to you, but man, it burnt me up. The first sign of a, of a control, of a person who's trying to control their own life, the first symptom that you're going to see is truly, now listen, I'm not talking about so that you can look at other people to see if they have, right? I don't want you looking around and saying, oh, that's, that's Brother Claudia for sure. <laughs> Right? That's quality. He's all over quality. No. These are not symptoms to check on each other. These are symptoms that you need to check on yourself about. Amen? Amen. And the first symptom is a lack of dependence on God. Or what I would say, a shallow faith. A shallow faith. It's when you believe in Jesus... And you even believe the truth. So if I walked you through what I walked this other person through this week, and if I said, do you believe in the virgin birth? You would say, yes. Do you believe he was sinless? You would say, yes. Do you believe that he died for your sins? You would say, yes. Do you believe that he was resurrected from the dead? You would say, yes. You would believe the gospel tenets. You would believe all the things. You would believe those things. But you don't really trust Him with your life. Yeah. Oh, do you see what I'm saying now? It's, it's, I believe in Jesus. I believe in salvation. I believe in heaven. I believe in all the things that, the, that, that, that He promised. But when it comes to my life, I don't trust Him with mine. There's a, 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 a stupid game that people used to, I don't know where it got started at, um, but I, they used to do it in the business world years ago, they've since long got out of it, and I'm, I could probably guess why, but used to, somebody would stand and they'd blindfold you, and they would stand behind you, and you just had to believe they were there and fall backwards and they'd catch you. 
Well, you don't play that game when you're the boss. <laughs> I learned that, right? You, you've got to be careful about that. You don't jump up and say, oh, they're back there, I know it. Uh, you take the blindfold off, you turn around and look, right? But there's that game, and that's called a trust fall, right? You, and, and, and people would do this trust fall where, so you were, you were building teamwork, you would know that if you were in trouble, they would be there to get you, that they would catch you, that they'd be able to, to, to do this. See, the problem is, is that most of us are like me when I say, you don't do that when you're the boss. Most of us are like that with the Lord. What we do is, God says, I'm going to put this blindfold on you because I don't want you to walk by sight. I want you to walk by faith. So I'm going to put this blindfold on you and I'm going to give you, tell you the things that you need to do. I'm going to tell you the things that I want you to do. I'm going to give you the, oh, the guardrails on each side. I'm going to put all that in the scripture and I'm going to do all this for you and you put the blindfold on and you follow me. You trust that if you, as you go along and you do all the things I say that I'll do all the things I say. The problem with most of us is, is that we believe all about Christ but the trust part that we're missing. Amen? Amen? See, we, we, we believe in the person of Christ. We believe in the deity of Christ. We just don't trust Him with our life. We just don't trust Him with our life. We, 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 we know, even if it's hard, we know, I mean, we, we have the head knowledge that even if it's hard, God will be there. God will work things together for good, that God has a purpose. But, but when it comes to trusting God in that way, we don't have the trust. So that's the first symptom. And only you know the depth of your faith. I don't know it. I don't know if your faith is shallow. I don't know how much you truly depend and trust on God. But I would tell you this. If you want to walk more deeply with God, trust Him more deeply. Yeah. I would say that the second biggest sign of a controlling person or a controlling spirit in our life at times is this. When we are judgmental, we've got a control problem. This one hit me hard. But let me read to you a couple of places. James 4, 11 and 12. You might want to turn to that if you got your Bible. James, there's going to be two here that I, that I want you to see. And I'm sorry that they keep me up on the screen. But James 4, 11 and 12. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Did you hear that? Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, you're a judge of it. There is one lawgiver, one who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge one another? Amen. Think about what this scripture is saying. It's very akin to the same thing that Christ 
in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew said, when he said, if you, he said, you have heard that it's been said of them, if you, not to commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look at a woman in lust, you've committed adultery in your heart already. Amen? Amen? So this is akin to that scripture because what he says is, is basically he's saying, brethren, when, when, when you speak evil of your brother, you've judged them in your heart already. Amen? Yes. You've judged them in your heart. Judgment is not always a public thing. Judgment happens in the heart. It's a, it's a prideful heart problem. It's a, it's a secret sin in the lives of so many Christians. It, has, it takes two forms. It's talk about people behind their back. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Y'all are slowing down on me. Amen. Don't, don't, be, don't be hurt by it. Remember, God sent it to us to rescue us from it. We talk about people behind their back. Or listen, let's elevate it now because you can say, well, I don't do that. Or we think nasty things about it in our minds. Just like if we look at a woman to lust, we've committed adultery. When we think nasty things about our brothers and sisters, we've judged them in our hearts already. Remember in Matthew what the Lord says? He says, don't focus on the splinter in somebody else's eye. Right? Focus on the beam in your own. Amen? Yeah. See, what, what, what Jesus is saying there when he talks about judgment is, in judgment, what you do is, whether you realize it or not, when you judge another person, when you speak evil of another person, Basically, what you're professing is, I have the right to look down on this person. Because I am superior. We don't think of it that way when it's happening. Step out of it for a minute and see it for what the gospel says it is. We take you to another one. A longer section of scripture, so bear with me. Romans chapter 14. One of my favorite books in the Bible. Romans. And one of my favorite chapters, Romans chapter 14. This is talking about, and you may even see it in your Bible when you get there, there may be a thing at the top of it that says uh, Christian liberty. Or the law of liberty. There's different ways it's phrased in different Bibles. But listen, in Romans 14, 1 through 13, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. Because listen what happens. And this is true in the body of Christ. For one believes he can eat all things. But the one that's weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him that does eat. You see that? For God has received him. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands 
or to his own master he falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another day. Another esteems every day to be the same. Let each person be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat, does it to the Lord. He does not eat to the Lord and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lives again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you... Now listen, here's what, God, here's what God asks us. The Holy Spirit pinned these words down asking us today, why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Amen? Amen. So the Spirit says to us, why show contempt? What does that word mean? Contempt. Do you ever read, listen, sometimes when you read your Bible, what you need to do is when you come across a word, rather than just reading it and go to the next one, look up what that word means. What does the word contempt mean? Listen at the definition. The feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving to be scorned. That's what it means, contempt. So the Spirit says, why do you show contempt for your brother? In other words, why do you feel that your brother is beneath you? Why do you feel that your brother is worthless? Why do you feel that you need to scorn your brother? Why judge them? Do you not believe that each person will stand and give account of himself to God? How many of you believe that today? How many of you believe today that you're going to stand and give account of yourself for your own life to God? Amen. Amen. I do. I believe that's exactly what he's saying here. In other words, what he's saying is, is when you judge somebody else, they don't belong to you. They're not yours to judge. Rather, instead of, instead of focusing on judging them, focus on how you cannot be a stumbling block to them. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. A lack of dependence on God. A judgmental spirit. Let me tell you the next one. An unforgiving attitude. An unforgiving and almost always a controlling person has no time to tolerate your mistakes because there's no excuse for it. No excuse. 
I have been in a... I, 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 I'm, I'm going to speak straight from my heart to you this morning for just a second. These past two weeks, I have been in one of the biggest spiritual struggles of my life. Wrestling with the thought, these thoughts. Not that I don't trust God. Not that I don't believe God. Not that at all. But I'm struggling to find the balance, but I know it's there. Because here is the thing. We are, the Bible says we are to seek justice, but we are to love mercy. And we are to walk humbly with our God. The problem is, is that generally, for all of us, we either swing one way or the other. We either seek justice, and that's all that matters to us, is justice being served. Or we say, nope, I love mercy, and all that matters is everything's forgiven, and anybody can just walk all over us that wants to. After all, Christ said, turn the other cheek. But the Bible says we're to have both a seeking of justice and a love of mercy. And I have wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with this to try to understand. But it's summed up so simply. It's just so simple. I'm going to stand to give an account of God for me. I cannot control what you do. I can tell you what I think you ought to do. I can preach to you as a, as a pastor and as a friend and as a brother in Christ and I can say I'm confident that this is what God wants you to do. But I'll never be able to make you do. I'll only be able to tell you what you should do. Now as long as I'm in the Scripture, I'm on solid ground. When I get out of the Scripture and I just start telling you what I think you should do, I'm off solid ground. Big time. Often this unforgiving attitude is the person who has swung all the way over to this side and all that matters is justice. Justice must be served. We forget though that what God said, He said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Amen. When somebody does evil to you, do good to them. Overcome evil with good. Perhaps we'll preach more on that another day. Pray for me about that spiritual struggle. I want to get wisdom on that. Very rarely, this unforgiving attitude, very rarely does a person who has a controlling spirit say they're sorry. You ever been around anybody like that? Very rarely they say they're sorry. In their mind, there's nothing to be sorry for. There's no reason to be sorry. Everybody else just doesn't get it. Listen, the, the scripture says, forgive and you shall be forgiven. It says this, to acknowledge our own sinfulness. It doesn't tell me to acknowledge yours all the time. It tells me to acknowledge mine. Amen? Amen. It says to humble ourselves. God never asks us to humble others. 
Never has God asked me to humble somebody else. I took it upon myself to try a few times. But never did God ask me to do it. The only person God wants me to humble is me. So often, listen, if you've been plagued by this, and if I'm preaching to you this morning, I pray that you know it's it's not, it really truly isn't to condemn. It's so that maybe you could see it and say, look, I don't, I'd be better off if God was in control of my life than if I am. I'd have more joy and peace and all these things. The, the last sign that I would give you, and I'll keep this one short because I know we, we got, we're going to eat and, do, and fellowship and have, hopefully have a good time and not be mad at me over this message. But the last thing is anger. Unfortunately, what happens for a controlling person, and I know because I've been that person, is they spend most of their time angry because they can't get others to do what they want them to do. Amen? Amen? You spend all your time angry because you're mad at everybody else because they won't do what you think you should say to do. But nobody else has to do what you said to do. Each person has to give account not to Bill, but to God. Amen. And not to you, but to God. Amen. And so we spend all of our time angry. And so the only option we have left since we're struggling so hard to forgive is just to remain angry. And listen, for time's sake, I'm going to go on. But I do want your prayers over all these things because even though I don't have any name in mind, it's like my name is the one that's written there. And so I know it's for me. But I believe there's a cure. I do believe there's a cure. I believe there's a way out of having to feel like you have to control your life Control everybody else's. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God with us. Those are the words that kept ringing in my ear. Remember I told you I didn't know how I could tie it all together. But those are the words that kept ringing in my ear throughout the whole time. And I think about the implication of those words. God, the, the powerful, the all-knowing, the creator and sustainer of all things with us, present with us where we are, close to us, near to us, amongst us, yet this morning. Those words, if you dwell with that title of God, Emmanuel, God with us, long enough, it will change your perspective. It'll change your actions. It'll change your ways. It'll change your outlook, your hope, your everything. Having God with us means everything. Amen. Everything. And you say, yeah, but, but Bill, like I get it, you brought a Christmas uh, uh, scripture. But, but, but God's not with us the way that He was with them. I mean, we've got the Bible and we've got the church but it's not the same as when Jesus walked the earth. Listen, He's even more with us now than He was then. We don't just have the Bible. We don't just have the church. We've got, thank God, we've got the Bible. Praise God, we've got the church. But we've got something more. We've got somebody who was sent to us. In John chapter 16, verse 7, He said, Nevertheless, Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. Amen. All of us who are born again have been given the Holy Spirit of God. God with us, God in us. Amen. He is our teacher, our guide, our helper, our comforter. I love the fact that the Scripture calls Him the comforter. I love it. Do you know what comfort means? It means the alleviation of stress and distress and feelings and grief. That's what, I, that's what we have in God and the Holy Spirit. Listen, having God in us and with us means that we don't have to carry around grief. We don't have to carry around distress. We don't have to walk around in fear. We don't have to dwell in our past shame. We don't have to wallow in our past mistakes. How many of you do that sometimes? Just keep going back and just thinking about all the things that you've done to disappoint the Lord. You don't have to wallow in those things. We, we, what we have to do is we have to rely on the Holy Spirit of God who reminds us that we have been forgiven by the precious blood of Jesus. Jesus said He testifies of me. We don't have to be fearful of an uncertain future because we have the promise that God will never leave us, never forsake us. We don't have to live in the present under bondage to anything. Those whom Christ has set free are free indeed. It is because we have God in us that we can say those We have the helper, the teacher, the guide, the comforter, and it changes everything. Listen, if we understood God with us, isn't that enough to let go of the pride of life? Isn't that enough? Our desire to control everything and everyone around us, isn't it enough that we have the Holy Spirit in us and with us? If we believe that God was with us and in us, would there be any room for that kind of pride? All of our griefs gone, all of our distresses gone, all of our fears taken care of, all of our past sins forgiven, our eternal future secured, death defeated, the victory won. Is there any need for pride of life now? Is there any need for it? I don't have to control others. Because I have a God who's sovereign over all. <coughs> I have a God who is able to do all things. I have a God who says He can turn the heart of a king in His hand. I have a God who the mightiest men on this earth are like grains of sand. They're nothing. So I can let go with confidence, you see, knowing that my God will work in the heart of those who are His and it's not my job to fix everybody else. And somebody needs to hear that. It's not your job to fix everybody else. It's not my job to get everybody on the right path. It's not my job to convince everybody of what they should do. There is someone far greater than me 
who's working to accomplish that. And I know he can. You know how I know? Because he did it in me. If they are his, he will not leave them unchanged. He will not leave them helpless. He will not leave them. He is the one who worked it out in me. It's my job to trust that he can work it out in others. Amen. To believe by faith. Amen. Amen. Don't fall victim to a controlling spirit. Don't, don't, don't try to run, run your life your way. Don't try to run somebody else's life your way. Instead, let God work in you and let God work in them. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And just enjoy the people God's put in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Just enjoy. Enjoy each other. Yeah. Don't worry about trying to fix everybody. It's not your burden. Let God have that burden. God said, cast all your care upon me. He's able to carry that load. Amen? Amen. Let's stand with it. Heads bowed, eyes closed for a moment. Rubber meets the road. It gets real personal right here. Now listening's done. But the question is asked of you. As the message went forth, do you recognize that controlling spirit in you? If so, oh, it's personal, I know. It's hard. If so, get to this altar and say, God, I do not want to be this kind of person. This is, this is not who I need to be. Just cry out to him. Just say, God, just take this away from me. I don't have to control everybody and everything. I can trust you. Ask God to help you to trust. It's so hard to trust. It's so hard not to be judgmental. But if you found yourself victim of it, get out and say, God, don't let me judge. Instead, let me love. Let me do my very best. Anybody else need this altar? It's for you. Let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I can say with an honest heart, it's me. It's me, God, that stands sometimes, Lord, in need of more grace, God. As I try to do things on my own, God, as I try to figure out how to run everybody else's life, Lord, as I try to figure out how to make this person do this and how to get this person to do that and how to inspire these people to do this thing or that thing, Lord, God, it's not my job. 
I need help, Lord. I need forgiveness. I want to change God. I want to just embrace and trust in you. That the same spirit that works in me, and the same spirit that works in so many others, can work in any of us, God. And that, God, I want to be able to let go and to give it to you and to say, God, it's yours. This person, their life is yours. This church is yours. My children, they're yours. My family, they're yours. My friends and loved ones and my co-workers, they're yours. They're not mine to judge. They're not mine to control. God, I have judged people. I've been so guilty, God, of thinking critical thoughts and judgmentalness, God. And I want forgiveness for it, Lord. I want to be forgiven, God. I don't want to be carrying those around with me, Lord. I don't want to be judgmental, God. I just want to, I want to be in you, used by you, working for you, and enjoying being satisfied in you, God. And I want that for others, too. But, God, it's something that they have to want. And I can't give it to them, God. But I pray for them, God, and I pray, Lord, that you would work in every person's heart today. That you would do great things in our midst, God. That you would not leave us the same, but change us, God. Make us more like you. We love you, God. We praise you and we thank you. We ask all of it in Jesus' name.